Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. All right, Mike, I'm not even sure if you're super aware of this, but your team has come up with a giveaway for Thanksgiving. Wonderful. Around the corner. Yeah. It's better to give than to receive. That's right. And we love to give. We are giving away a signed copy of Drinking with the Saints. Woo! And the contest will end right before Thanksgiving. So this will be in time for you to be shopping for Christmas. And all you have to do is go to Instagram and we are at Drinking Saints and you can see the instructions there. It's pretty simple. But also we really want to make sure that we can stay in touch with you and you can contact us with questions and queries, complaints. We love it all. <laughs> we thrive on criticism. We thrive on criticism at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we'd love to add you to a growing email list so we can stay in touch and I can personalize any copy of Drinking with the Saints that you have. That's right. Mike will send you a book plate meaning something, the little adhesive label that you can attach to the front page of Drinking with the Saints that is the next best thing to a personalized signed copy. That's right. And then we also have still ongoing our contest for the name of our, our listeners. Yes, please contribute. Drinky and you babies. will get a prize for that as well. That's right. We're giving all kinds of things away. All right. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And welcome to our Holy Happy Hour. Today, we talk about the Feast of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, which in the new calendar is November 17th, and in the traditional calendar is November 19th. All right, let's get started. Right away. Hey. Oh, you, you want a drink, don't you? I didn't say that, but if you're offering, I would take it. All right, so we'll do our customary invocation, and then we're going to cut straight to the drink. Cut to the chase. Er. Exactly. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. Bless our drinks and our conversation. Amen. Amen. St. Elizabeth of Hungary. Pray for us. Pray for us. Okay, so full disclosure, we had actually recorded this episode before, but we were displeased with it. So one of the reasons why we were displeased... I was cranky? Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that, dear. Okay. We try to do one of our invent a drink during the podcast. <laughs> That's right. And it didn't go over too well. We, it was too tart. It was too sweet. It was too this. It was too that. We had to go back to R&D, research and development. Yes. So we spent the last couple of days doing a lot of research for you, our beloved listeners. The sacrifice we make for you is incredible. You're welcome. We had a lot of bad drinks. Exactly. So <laughs> now we feel like we've landed on a pretty good drink. Yeah, we think so. We'll, we'll let you be the judge. So the reason why we were hesitant is that in Drinking with the Saints, the book, we mentioned some of the stories of St. Elizabeth. We had one drink called the Isabella, named after her, or at least it shares her name. Right, because Isabel is a version of Elizabeth. Correct. And it's a good drink, but it is very sweet. And we thought, you know, not everyone has a sweet palate. If you do, check it out in the book. It's a very fine drink. It's grenadine and creme de cassis and club soda. 
which is sweet on sweet with some bubbly. Well said. Yeah. So we wanted something with a little more complexity. We were inspired by one of our favorite stories about St. Elizabeth of Hungary. She married Blessed Louis of Thuringia. Also called uh, Ludwig, which I love. Yes. Ludwig. And married at a very young age. Age Arranged marriage. Super scary. I know. Arranged marriage at age 14. Like, scary, scary. We have a 14-year-old, so good grief. Can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. And yet, they fell in love. Yeah, deeply in love. Happily married. She bore several children. Three. Yep. But one of the things that made her a standout in the court of her husband... Thuringia was that she was very pious and she really cared about the poor. She didn't care about court display or whatever. Unfortunately, her mother-in-law was a little less pious. A bit of a pill. We'll get to her later. Mm -hmm. So she did wonderful things. And one of the wonderful things she did was care for the poor. And Blessed Louis supported his wife 100% until one day he came home and Elizabeth had brought a leper into their marriage bed and was taking care of him. You I can don't know, understand. kind of a party foul. Yeah, well, you can understand Lewis's position. He was a little miffed. Yeah. And he was about to utter his mouth, open his mouth to complain. And then suddenly the leper changed into an image of our crucified Lord. Oh, yeah. And he thought, okay, I won't say anything. What he did do was build a hospital for her. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. So that no more lepers would have to go into his bed. It's like, I appreciate what you're doing. It's fantastic. However, I'm going to build you a hospital. When we searched through the annals of cocktail recipes, we could not find a recipe entitled Leper in My Bed. Isn't that weird? How strange. I mean, there are all kinds of strange names for cocktails, but Leper in My Bed has not been one of them. No. Until? Until now. now. We decided to design leper in my bed and again this is exclusive information this is not in the book so for our listeners they're getting like a they're so lucky bonus exactly so we're going to make the drink now and then we will explain its symbolism later mrs foley would you be so kind as to read the recipe to me it is an ounce and a half of vodka Seemed like a really long pour. It's for two, remember. There are two of us here. So <laughs> like I did pour three ounces of vodka for the two of us. I can do the math. I'm a humanities professor, but I can do simple addition. I was told there'd be no math. Okay, next is a splash of grenadine. A splash is broadly defined. Okay, the next thing is half an ounce of Chambord. All right, Chambord brandy. And then three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. So if you're doubling, I'll do the math for you. It's an ounce and a half. Dang, you're good. I'm so good. I teach math. We got it. And finally, a dash of lemon bitters. Oh, okay. So I'm sorry. I didn't bring the lemon bitters. We're just going to see how it is without it. Maybe in the parentheses, we could say optional. Optional, because we got the lemon juice. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to pour it into a shaker, which already has ice. I think we both forget why we added the lemon bitters. And is our custom, we will shake 40 times. 
Here's a random aside. Because we've been doing this for so long, I can actually, I can't do many things. Like if, when people come over for dinner, I pretty much have to have the meal made ahead of time because I will burn it. And a lot of our friends have experienced my burned food. But I will say that I can shake 40 times. We do sets of five sets of eight. I'm so good at math today. You are. And I can do it without even thinking about it now. And I'm sure you can too. Okay. Well, practice makes perfect. (laughs) Here we go. All right. That is a lovely looking drink. It has a beautiful rose color to it, which has a significance that we'll share soon. Cheers Cheers. to your health and holiness. St. Elizabeth. Pray for us. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not sweet. It leans on the tart, but that has something to do with the discovery of finding a leper in your bed. (laughs) Your first reaction is not sweetness when you find a leper in your bed. Also, her life was quite bittersweet. Like you said, I mean, she was arranged marriage, but then fell deeply in love with Ludwig and had three children that she loved very dearly. And I'm sure you'll say this, but then when she was 20 years old, her husband went off to the Crusades and died of a fever. Yeah. Yeah. And then she, you know, was so sad. I think she said something to the effect of like, he is dead. He is dead. It is as if I am dead too. Oh. Yeah. That's exactly how I'm going to feel. Oh, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. For some reason, that makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) So glad my future sorrow really makes you happy. (laughs) Well, it's better than you dancing on my grave. (laughs) I'm a great dancer. (laughs) That's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) Two sips and I'm feeling it. So tell us about the rose color and why it's appropriate for Elizabeth. All right. She has a significance with roses because one of the miracles was that, again, I mentioned the tension between her and her mother-in-law and kind of the court at large. They did not like that she kept giving to the poor because it was taken from the, the, the royal coffers. So she had been giving to the poor regularly, daily, and I think she was told not to, but she kept doing it. And I'm, uh, by the way, there is a lovely children's book called Roses in the Snow, written by Desi Jackson that uh, we've had for years. And it's a charming little book with lovely illustrations that recounts the story. So she was going out one day to feed the poor and her mother-in-law had gotten wind of it and wanted sent out several people to go interrogate her and basically bust her. So she's out there and her, her husband comes along and he's you know, sort of like, um, um, my beloved Elizabeth, are you feeding the poor again? You're not supposed to be. And she blushes a deep rose color and he says, well, what's, what's in your mantle? And she opens up her mantle. And so the bread that she'd been carrying, there's a vision of roses, these beautiful Aww. pink roses. Yeah. So God, God had her back. It's like Juan Diego and the Tilma. It is. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Also, I just love, like, she didn't lie. She wasn't like, duh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's roses. She just blushed and then just opened her mantle and God, God had her back. Excellent. And then he was so moved by the miracle that he was like totally on board with her charity. Apparently it took Louis Ludwig two things. Yes, right. The leper in the bed and then the roses thing to be like, okay, I get it. Something's going on here. Did he buy her a rose garden like he did with the hospital? Well, I will say as a a very bad rose gardener myself, I usually pray to St. Therese, but Mm. I should be also praying to St. Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Juan Diego. Our Lady Guadalupe. I love that story anyway. I think it's so charming. Let's talk about the symbolism of the ingredients of this drink, which we have dubbed Leper in My Bed. 
So we've got one and a half ounces of vodka. So we try to think of a liquor that represents leprosy. And the best we could come up with was the fact that vodka is traditionally made from the potato, which is kind of a leprous looking thing. Oh, that's why we landed on that? Well, you know, it's got a lot of bumps and rough skin. Try not to be too graphic here. We're definitely not going to get an endorsement for the potato industry, are we? So today, we, we love Tito's, but today we're using Bushel Organic Vodka. Which I really like. It's really good, but I figure organic vodka is closer to leprosy than non-organic vodka. Because, you know, it's bumpy and rough and not smoothed <laughs> out by saying. chemicals. <laughs> not trying to diss the organic movement, but, you no, know, well, you when you buy say. organic fruit, it's not as... It's as perfect and smooth. It hasn't been it, artificially yeah. perfected. It's it's a bit rough around the edges. Boy, you can just like make an analogy out of nothing. Way to go. You know, that's that PhD in theology. You can just <laughs> allegorize anything. <laughs> I thought I was being a parrot. <laughs> Your parent like, yeah, don't do that because here's an elaborate reason that I'm just going to suburn you with. Exactly. So we also included a splash of grenadine. Grenadine is made from pomegranate, which in Christian art is a symbol of self-giving. I think it has something to do with the nature of the pomegranate. You open it up and it's... Multitudinous in seeds. Indeed, right? Mm -hmm. It's just sort of this heart that opens up. Mm. Uh, Make sure when you buy grenadine that you get grenadine made from real pomegranate. There's a lot of fake stuff out there that's made from, you know, bug red dye number five. But uh, we actually use an inexpensive grenadine. It doesn't look like it would be the real stuff. What's it called, Alexandra? (laughs) And you did say inexpensive. It is. It's called Finest Call Premium Grenadine Syrup. It looks like a, a party bottle. It looks like something you'd find in a frat house, but it's actually made from real pomegranate. There also is high fructose corn syrup in it, just so you know. Oh. Dang it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, it's not for kids. (laughs) (laughs) We also included Chambord, which is a delicious raspberry brandy. Which has no high fructose corn syrup. Let's hope not. And it is associated with the French royalty. So I know Elizabeth is not French royalty, but we are looking for something that tied into European royalty. And this was the best we could do. But the Chambord is quite good, and we use it in a number of our cocktails. We also included lemon juice. That's for the bitter sweetness of Elizabeth's life, which was sweet, but did contain a lot of bitterness. As Alexander mentioned earlier, she got a lot of flack from her in-laws, and it only increased after her husband's death. They could barely tolerate her. And there was, while he was alive. Right. And then then he dies and they're, they just basically kind of send her off someplace. And she happily acquiesces. I think she was at that point was like, oh, I'm happy to get out of here. Yeah. But then she has a spiritual director who's, a, I think, a Franciscan. Yes, that's right. And he's a wicked hash, as we say in Boston. Mm-hmm. He, he you know, beats her as part of her Whoa. spiritual development. Yep. When and you think of Franciscans her. today, you don't think of them as, well, wife beaters. <laughs> royalty beaters you think of them as tree huggers you know this is this is astonishing yes so he was really harsh and i don't really know what to make of that but she took it all with obedience i imagined he did it because she was royalty and so pampered yeah he assumed he, she was pampered didn't seem like she pampered herself very much 
but that he, for whatever reason, thought that she needed beatings. Ouch. Yeah. I've just got to say, like, you know, we always want our children to have spiritual directors. (laughs) (laughs) Children, if your spiritual director ever recommends that he beat you, I'm going to say a pass. Well, yeah. Different context. Different, Different context. Yes. So she's widowed at the age of 19. 20. Oh, thank you. And she is summarily tossed out of the royal royal household. She lives in a tiny cottage by herself. Mm -hmm. She takes it all in good stride. She continues to be poo-pooed by her in-laws, but she continues to help the poor. And one of my favorite stories about her helping the poor as a widow involves fishing. Ooh, I don't think I know this story. So we had a previous episode about Hunting in St. Hubert. Has everyone noticed how Mike is always manages to bring it back around to hunting and fishing? No, I'm not always. This is only the second time. <sighs> we'll see. Well, we will see. <laughs> so an old lady comes to her and says, I really need a fish. I'm really hungry. I guess she knew about the value of fish protein and oil. So she begged St. Elizabeth for a fish. She's like, I've got a little arthritis. I need some fish oil. Exactly. St. Elizabeth runs out to the nearest creek and she prays, Lord Jesus Christ, provide a fish for your suffering one. And then she sees a large fish and she collects it and immediately brings it to the old lady. What the story does not share. But like she just went out there, like just like pulled up her royal dress and just went out there and like manhands it, grabs it with her hands. I need more specifics. Was she bait fishing? Was she fly fishing? What did she use? Did she, have, she used her veil as a net, maybe? I, I just, you know, I gotta know. I just picture in like Seinfeld man hands. Yeah. So our 11-year-old son, Johnny, caught a beautiful two-pound rainbow trout when we went to New Mexico over the summer. And he caught it with a net, a fishing net. Uh, you know, one of the small nets you use to like scoop up a fish after you've hooked it. Once it's it. on the line, yeah. But this was a fish that had previously been caught and got away from the hook and was exhausted. And so it was swimming along the shore, just kind of stunned, and he scooped it up. So that's the only other case I know of someone getting a large fish without the proper method of hooking it. Mm, That fish was so good, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like catching a fish and then, well, whatever you do with it. I don't like to think about that, but well, you've got it. Come on. Just oh, it's the, easy. the gutting and all that. But then, you know, you you cooked it up for us on a Friday and it was delicious. It was indeed. Thank you. And gutting a fish is, well, a lot easier than gutting a deer or a hog. Just just saying. You've done all those things. A lot fewer guts. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't this a fun conversation to have right before dinner? <laughs> We're having bread for dinner after this conversation. <laughs> Pizza! Did you know that the founder of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital was just 23 years old when he pledged to God that if he would prosper his way in life, he would build a shrine to St. Jude? Or the man who funded the secret archaeological project to find the bones of St. Peter lost both of his parents before he was eight and taught himself to read and write by studying the Bible? Amazing stories of faith, humility, and radical generosity just like these have transformed our world and the Catholic Church, and we think more people should hear about them. Every week, we bring you stories of radical generosity that have changed the world on one of the hottest new podcasts around, Holy Donors. 
Learn more at holydonors.com or find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So I will confess that I'm always fascinated by monarch saints. I am too, because it seems like it's hard. It does. So people talk about, oh, uh, we need more lay saints. And sure, I understand that argument because from a lay perspective, it almost sounds easy to become a saint if you're a monk or a nun. Because like, what else are you going to do? You're, you're part of the A team. All day long, you're praying. Yeah. Right. You're already eating gruel. And you don't have the same distractions that you do in the secular world. They're not fighting their phone like I am every day. Yeah, exactly. So I think, of course, a bunch of monks and nuns are going to become saints. I don't want to sound flippant. but I, know, I just realized that sounds really bad. But that is the kind of, you know, Joe Pugh, Pat, Catholic point of view. But a monarch is a political leader, is a statesman. And that means they're in charge of the polis. And the polis, the city, city. is messy. It means you're involved in wars that aren't necessarily just. It means that you're involved in, you, you inherit a political situation that is not necessarily just. You just have, it seems to me, so many shades of gray to adjudicate that it, it it would seem almost impossible to be holy and a political leader. It would seem that you just need to go Machiavelli to get anything done, but then that just makes you wicked. Sure. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, mm. but also to wear the crown and then also navigate the, the narrow road of holiness. Yeah. Be, yeah, to be like an effective leader, often, you know, you got to crack some eggs. Yeah. But then to do it and also... Like, keep your purity and your holiness must be enormously difficult. Enormously difficult. Like good King Wenceslas. Exactly. And our friend, Peter Kwasniewski. Hello, Peter. Peter. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of years ago, he wrote a list of Catholic monarchs who became saints. Oh, that's a great idea. And it's, you know, Louis and Alfred the Great and a number of others. And when you compare that with political leaders of modern liberal democracies, not that I'm poo-pooing modern liberal democracy, I'm happy to be an American, but there aren't any. Like no prime ministers that are now saints? Okay, to be fair, we've had modern liberal democracy, we've had democracy in that sense for a much shorter time. Like the monarchy has, yeah. has, goes back a lot farther. Yeah. But I, I cede your point. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's interesting to discuss during your next happy hour. I kind of want to discuss it more now, but maybe I'll save that for the after party. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Well, we have a few more talking points for the evening. Number one is we still have openings for our pilgrimage cruise. Just a few. Just a few. They are filling up slowly and surely, and we would love for you to join us. We will be going through the Douro region of Portugal and Spain in late April, early May. We'll be visiting Fatima, which is not part of the Douro River, but we'll start there. A pilgrimage to the wonderful site, shrine of Our Lady of Fatima. We'll then be going through the Douro region, which is famous for its port and wine. The Vinos. And there's an optional extension to go on pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. I think I'm, I am super excited for Santiago de Compostela, but I'm also really, and, and Fatima, which I've been to 
when I was uh, in seventh grade, don't remember very well. But what I'm actually most excited for are like the little towns that I've not heard of, where we get to like disembark and uh, every day and have mass in a beautiful church and just have like a beautiful European experience, having lunch at some place, seeing all the different many medieval towns and things. I'm just really excited about that. Alexandra and I have never done a pilgrimage boat cruise before. Well, you look at me like I'm crazy. Oh, we, haven't, no. we haven't done that before, have we? <laughs> no, my far, my far away look was my thinking look, which was, have we ever done a pilgrimage together like with a group? Like we've done family pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. There's just like the eight of us, but yeah, we have never, like, I've always wanted to go on the short pilgrimage. But anyway. So we haven't done this genre of pilgrimage before, but I've been told that it is an outstanding way to do a pilgrimage because it's basically a floating hotel. You don't have to unpack and pack every day. Right. For me, that's the worst part of travel. I like to go to several places, but it's just an annoyance to be like, and you're in Rome for two days, and then you're in Florence for two days, and then you're just like coming and going and always like reorienting yourself that you're in the same place, essentially, not entirely, but mostly, you know, on, on the boat for most of it. You spend a full day at this beautiful medieval city. Right. You come back to the boat where we have exciting presentations, demonstrations. I've been told there's some dancing. There is some dancing. Uh, You can celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary with us, which will be May 2nd. What? And then you go to bed, and you go to sleep, and you wake up, and it's a whole new destination. And you don't have to pack or unpack. I'm so excited. Yeah. And we're bringing our kids. They don't know this yet. I was going to say, shh. Our children actually sometimes listen to this, so like, don't ruin Christmas. Do they really? Yeah, no, they do. Weirdos. That's interesting. Yeah. Our kids have asked us, <laughs> could you please, when it's our name day, can we be special guest stars in your podcast? Oh, lovely. All right. We can work on that. All right. We haven't said which kids we're bringing, so. Our big Christmas reveal is to bring the kids, and we hope you can join us. Please come with us. It's going to be so fun. I'm bringing my parents. We've got some other friends coming, and we're really excited. Please, please come with us. All right, our second announcement is we still need more suggestions for the ideal name for followers of the Drinking with the Saints podcast. We're doing a giveaway. The winner who comes up with the best nickname for our followers will get a free signed copy of Drinking with the Saints Deluxe. Heard of it. If you already have one, we can negotiate. We have outstanding aprons, Drinking with the Saints aprons, and some other merch. So if you don't want a signed copy, we can come up with something else for you. But please give us your suggestions. Email us at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. And I'm excited about thinking of ideas for the nicknames. Our son Peter avidly follows uh, Matt Walsh. (laughs) And apparently they're called Sweet Baby. The Sweet Babies, I think. And I've heard Matt Walsh, um, and I like <laughs> some of his stuff. But I neither su- get the babies nor the sweet, but... What? Sweet? Like Bitter Baby? Stop. I'm sorry. We love hey, you, Matt. Matt Walsh. <laughs> we love you, Matt. We'd love to have you on our <laughs> show. <laughs> but Sweet Baby? Come on. It must be ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so come up with something better. Let's come up with a great nickname for the Drinking with the Saints podcast community. We also want to hear, we sometimes get some blowback, people saying like, 
where's Saint so-and-so? You didn't have Saint so-and-so. Like, we can only do so many. It's once a week, folks. But <laughs> if there is an over- overwhelming consensus that you want Saint so-and-so, email us, message us on Instagram and or Facebook. Um, I think our Instagram is Drinking Saints, and Facebook is Drinking with the Saints. And let us know what you want to hear about. Or if they're like alcohol, you know, liquor topics you want to hear about, just that is let true. us know. And you can also use the email address, podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. So many ways to get in touch with us. So many ways. We are available. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a lovely evening. And we wish you a good night and the intercession of St. Elizabeth of Hungary to your health and holiness. God bless you all. Good Good night. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. Or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints. And find Drinking with the Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking with the Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.